We are finishing up our study in the book of Philemon. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever." No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the God of transformation, that you are the one that can take lives that have just been made a mess of, and you can bring restoration. That you can take situations that are messy, where there's been hurt, and you can bring healing. And God, I pray today that as we look at this story one more time, that you would minister our, to our hearts, that we, Lord, might have your heart today concerning the hurts that maybe we're holding on to in our lives. And so we give you this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So today is our third and final study in the book of Philemon. It's a sh the shortest of Paul's pastoral or prison epistles, I should say, and uh, but it's power packed. And, and we've taken three weeks to really dive into it. And in the first study, we looked at the story as a whole. And it's a beautiful picture of the doctrine of substitution and the doctrine of imputation as Paul writes to his friend Philemon, who has been wronged, who had a slave run off and steal from him, and yet this slave, whose name is Onesimus, ends up in prison. He ends up in a prison cell with the Apostle Paul. He ends up giving his life to Christ. That's why Paul refers to him as his son, his son in the faith. And now after some time, Paul is sending him back 
home to Philemon. That's, and he's sending him back with this letter, this book. This, we call it a book, but it's really a letter to give to Philemon. And in the letter, he's asking Philemon to receive him back. And he says, if he's hurt you or wronged you in any way, put that on my account. Charge that to my tab. And we see in that the, a picture of the doctrine of substitution, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. And then last week we looked at this story from the, the standpoint of Onesimus himself, who is a wonderful picture of a true conversion. And we saw this transforming work that God had done in his life where he took ownership for his sin and he's willing to, to go back and, and make things right. And, and we saw that is a beautiful picture of how God can bring about transformation in somebody's heart when there's been true repentance. Well, today we're going to look at this story from one more angle, and we're going to see what it teaches us about forgiveness. You see, as I mentioned, Philemon, he was burned. He was taken advantage of. His family had been wronged by this slave who ran away, who stole from him, and and went off. And now Philemon is being called to forgive and to restore, to take Onesimus back and receive him, not as a slave, Paul says, but now as a brother in Christ. I want to borrow a phrase today that our beloved friend Ray Bentley used to say a lot, and it was the phrase, let's step into the story. And I want to encourage you this morning to step into the story. I want you to put yourself in Philemon's shoes. In fact, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been burned by someone? Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Have you ever had your character maligned by someone? Have you ever had someone who has broken your trust? I would venture to say that all of us in this room have experienced things like that before. We've been wronged by someone. And and, and I ask you this, what did you do? How did you respond? How did that impact your life? How did that hurt, that wrong that was done to you, where did it take you? Did it make you, as a person, someone who is bitter, or did it make you better? Did it become a stumbling block in your life that that kept you from really getting close to Jesus and being involved in fellowship and and really allowing the Lord to, to work in your heart? Was it a stumbling block in your life or was it a stepping stone to deeper growth and more ministry and richer fellowship? You know, according to the Mayo Clinic and John Hopkins, Unforgiveness can have huge physical and mental effects on a person. I have literally seen people, I've witnessed people have an emotional and mental breakdowns because of unforgiveness and bitterness. I've watched people who seemingly just seem completely normal all of a sudden just snap and lash out in a way that was so out of character, and and I've just seen them completely lose it, and act in ways that was just absolutely bizarre, and all of it was connected to the bitterness and unforgiveness in their hearts. That's why the Bible warns about roots of bitterness. 
It says that in roots of bitterness, and it's a great description. It's a root. Because roots, they go down deep and they spread. And that's what bitterness does. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that, that through roots, through bitterness, many become defiled. It's also interesting, in, a, in the same article, the Mayo Clinic and John Hopkins have also chronicled the physical benefits, though, of forgiveness. Stating that forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Forgiveness can have huge benefits on our heart and lives physically and mentally, but the flip side of that is that unforgiveness can be very, very detrimental. So we have this man, Philemon who was burned and taken advantage of, and under Roman law, he would have been completely justified to have Onesimus severely beaten. He could have even had him crucified. And under Roman law, a slave that ran away and came back could be branded with an F on his forehead that stood for fugitive. And Philemon could have chose any one of those things as his way of dealing with Onesimus. And he would have been completely justified under Roman law, but Paul was asking him to respond to a higher law. The law of love. The law of grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Notice verse 12. Again, he says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. That word receive means to take to one's self. It's a word that speaks of intimacy. It's the picture of the father in the story of the prodigal son. When his son comes back, he takes him to himself. He throws his arm around him. He's not standoffish. He's not drilling him. He's receiving him. He's bringing him in. It's a word that speaks of intimacy and closeness. Paul was calling Philemon to do just that, to receive him to yourself. This morning, as we look at this, I want to consider four things that this passage teaches us about forgiveness and unforgiveness. First of all, we want to look at the premise of forgiveness. Number two, we'll look at the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's important to understand there is a difference. Number three, we'll talk about the ramifications of unforgiveness. And then finally, we'll see the results of forgiveness and restoration. Let's start, though, with the premise of forgiveness. The premise of forgiveness, there's two things that we see here. The first is that Paul is letting Philemon know that the debt is already paid for. Look at verse 17. He says, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my accounts. Here's what Paul's saying. I know he's wronged you. I know he stole from you. I know he's missed a lot of work and being off, but whatever he owes you, this is what I want you to know, I'm going to pay for it. Charge that to my account. Philemon, put that on my tab. So Paul is saying, he's making a promise, I will pay the debt, but as it relates to our relationships, what Jesus wants us to understand is he already has paid the debt. 
The debt has all, Jesus said to the wrong that's been done to you and me, hey, that has already been charged to my account. I'm the one who's paid for the sins of all of the world. And so I'm asking you to realize this, that the person who's wronged you and hurt you, that I already paid the price for that sin that was done against you. We see a beautiful picture, I think, of how this works in our lives in Exodus chapter 15. It's a story that takes place in the life of the children of Israel after they've left Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They're going through the desert. And if you've ever been out in a desert, man, it can get hot and you get thirsty. And that's where they find themselves. And suddenly they see a pool of water up ahead and they get all excited because they're thinking, you know, this is going to bring refreshment to us. And they run up to this pool of water. They put their hands in to take a drink, but the water is bitter and they spit it out of their mouths. They name the place Mara, which means bitterness. So here's this place that they thought was going to refresh them. They thought it was going to quench their thirst. They thought it was going to be a blessing to their hearts. And it ends up being a place that that causes bitterness. And that happens to us. You know, we get in a relationship with someone or we find ourselves in a situation that we think, oh, this is going to be such a blessing. You know, this is a a great door that's open. This is going to refresh me and bless me. And suddenly something happens and this situation, this place, this person that we thought was going to bring refreshment to us ends up hurting us. And there's bitterness that comes from that situation. What do we do? What did God call them to do? Well, in the story, God says to Moses, see that tree by the water? I want you to cut it down and throw it into the water, and it's going to make the bitter water sweet. And that's exactly what they did. They cut down the tree that was there by the water, they threw it in, and it made the waters of Mara sweet, and they were able to drink and be refreshed. Well, in all of our bitter situations, in all of our pools of Mara in our life, there is also a tree that is already by the water that just needs to be applied to the water. And it's that tree that makes the bitter water sweet. And the tree that I speak of is the cross. It's the cross of Calvary. It's what Jesus did for us. When he hung on that cross, when he paid the price, when he took the punishment, when he paid the debt. You see, when we get hurt, we find ourselves saying things like, Lord, I want justice. Justice needs to be done. And Jesus stretches out his arms and says, it already has. I paid for it. I paid the price. That wrong that was done to you, I've already paid the price for that, throw in the tree. Apply the cross to that hurt. But here's the thing we need to understand. That's not just a one-time occurrence. That's actually oftentimes needs to be a daily occurrence. And this is something that we need to understand about forgiveness, and it's this, is that forgiveness is not a feeling, it's an action. And oftentimes, that's where we get messed up. We think that, okay, I, 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 I've forgiven them, and I, I feel this release, and I feel so good. And I don't know about you, but this happened to me where, where I've done that. I've prayed, and I've given something to the Lord, and I went to bed that night just feeling so good. And I wake up in the morning, and I'm mad all over again. 
And all those feelings are coming back. That ever happened to anybody else? Please raise your hand so I don't feel all alone in this, all right? That's what happens. And so in order to learn to to walk in forgiveness, we have to learn to daily apply the tree, to daily apply the cross, to daily bring that, every time it comes back up, to daily bring that. I've had times where, where for months, in a situation where someone hurt me that I, you know, just trying to get through this and, and feeling so good one day, like, oh, I've forgiven and I feel so good. And then the next day I'm just frustrated and everything all over again is having to learn to daily for sometimes months until I was able to finally walk in that forgiveness. Learning to give that over and apply the cross and realize that Jesus has already paid the price for that sin. So that's the first premise of forgiveness, is realizing the debt has already been paid. The second, though, is this, that Philemon needs to understand that he also owed a debt. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. You see, Philemon owed Paul a debt. And the debt that he owed was for his own salvation. You see, when he was lost, Paul shared Jesus with him. And it was through that sharing of the gospel that his sins were forgiven, that he was cleansed, that he was brought into right relationship with God. And you know what, friends? We all owe a debt. We all have been forgiven of so much by Jesus. In fact, there's enough against all of us here that, that they could literally, God could literally throw the book at us if he wanted to. And we would have no recourse or no response. And Jesus has been so gracious to you and I, and he wants us to be gracious to others. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's what he wants us to walk in. Remember the story that Jesus told of the man who owed the king a great sum of money. And this man comes to the king and he begs for mercy. He's like, man, I've had a really hard year and I can't pay you right now. Please have mercy on me. Give me more time. And the king totally has mercy on him. He literally, I mean, he just forgives the whole debt. Well, then that same guy goes out, finds another man who owes him a much smaller debt and grabs him and is like, you need to pay me and you need to pay me now. Now, and that guy's like, sorry, you know, it's been a hard year and I don't have the money, you know, just give me a little more time. And the guy's like, nope, and he has him thrown in jail. And when the king finds out about how this man that he had just forgiven treated this other guy, he's like, what is wrong with you? I forgave you of so much more than than that guy owed you, and the king ends up throwing him in prison. And this is the point that Jesus is making in the story. It's the question that, that Jesus would ask is this, how could you even think about not forgiving them when I've already forgiven you of so much? You know, unforgiveness is an indication that we have no concept that we ourselves are sinners. It's the complete ignoring of how we have sinned against God. 
It's the ignoring of the reality that we have been forgiven of a huge debt, one that was so great we deserve to die. That's what Paul's referring to here when he says to Philemon that he owed him a debt. And this is what he's wanting him to see is that Onesimus owes Philemon a material debt, but Philemon owes Paul a spiritual debt. Onesimus owes Philemon a temporal debt, but Philemon owes Paul an eternal one. So in this, these two premises, we see that forgiveness is not an option. It's actually required. And it's necessary for our own well-being. But having said that, we need to also remember and to consider that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Here's what you need to understand. Forgiveness only takes one. It's just me. Forgiveness starts with my heart. Forgiveness is really about me and God. It's me bringing my heart before the Lord and saying, God, I know this person has hurt me and wronged me so deeply, but I need to forgive them and I want to forgive them because you have forgiven me. Forgiveness only takes one. It's about you and God. It's about your heart. You not allowing your heart to get poisoned by coming and bringing that before the Lord. So forgiveness, it, it just takes one. It's, it's being willing and, and continuing to throw in the tree as it relates to that situation. But reconciliation, it takes two. And reconciliation involves repentance. It involves confession and repentance of the person who has wronged you, of them coming clean, of them having a change of mind and a change of attitude. And sometimes it's both parties that, that need to repent because they've, they've hurt one another. So reconciliation takes two, and reconciliation also involves not just repentance, but trust. And when trust is broken, it can only be built up over time and under a variety of circumstances and with consistent actions. Reconciliation or the the trust that is involved in reconciliation is going to take time. It's going to take some consistency of someone being able to watch you. Now, in Onesimus' case, Paul is saying, hey, I'm the one who's been watching him. I'm the one that can vouch for the change and the repentance that was in his life. And that's what we see here in this story. Paul's saying to Philemon, I want you to receive him, not as a slave. I want you to take him as your own, as a brother. And it's all based on the change that Paul has witnessed in his life, that Paul had seen his consistent actions. He'd seen the change in his attitude and his behavior. He saw it in a variety of circumstances. And he saw it in jail as, as Onesimus was in jail with him. He saw it in service as Onesimus begins to serve with him there in prison. And he saw it in Onesimus' attitude of being willing to return. That he wasn't just going to bail, he wasn't objecting, he wasn't going to run off. But he's like, okay, I need to go back and face the music. I'm willing to do that. And listen, reconciliation 
will always be based on those things. It will be based on repentance, and it will be based on trust that is earned over time under a variety of circumstances and with consistent actions. And it's important to note that because oftentimes I'll meet with somebody who's maybe sinned in their marriage or blown it in a ministry or in a friendship, and they are genuinely broken. They realize that what they have done is wrong, and they've come and they've confessed it, and they've asked God to forgive them. And and the Bible says that we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God forgives the true repentant heart just like that in a moment. In his eyes, it's like it's gone. But then the people say this to me. It's like, you know, if God can forgive me, How come she can't? Or how come he can't? And I say, listen, it's not that they don't, they haven't forgiven you. I believe that they've forgiven you. They've told me they've forgiven you. But here's the thing they don't trust you. And there's a difference. And that trust is going to have to be born, you're going to have to earn it. And it's going to come over time under a variety of circumstances and with consistent actions. That's the way it works. So forgiveness takes one. Forgiveness is my heart between me and God. Reconciliation takes two. But we learn from this that forgiveness is a non-negotiable thing in the body of Christ. The Lord calls us to forgive and he wants us to forgive because we have been forgiven of so much. And here's what I want you to note. A failure to forgive will have damaging effects upon our lives. This is the third thing we want to note today, the ramifications of unforgiveness. Four things I want you to note. First, failure to forgive will imprison believers to the past. Here's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness keeps the pain alive. If you've been wounded by someone, and we all have, that wound takes time to heal. It'll heal over time unless you keep feeding it. And that's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness keeps that sore open. It's like the wound that you just keep picking at, that it never ever gets the chance to heal and it will fester and that unforgiveness is like you're feeding it. And it's very, very destructive. The second thing we need to note is that failure to forgive produces bitterness. You see, it doesn't just stay with unforgiveness. It it moves to bitterness, and that happens the longer that we dwell on the offenses that have been committed against us, the more bitter that we become. And bitterness isn't just a, a sin, but it's an infection because it ends up affecting everybody else around us because it's all that we can talk about. That unforgiveness, it ends up leaving a scar that defines that individual. And I'm sure you know somebody like this. They're the victim. And that's all they can talk about. 
It just keeps coming up all the time in every kind of conversation and situation. And there's a bit of, you know, they don't trust others. And there's a sarcasticness to their tone. And there's, they're negative all the time. And it's all rooted in this bitterness that they've allowed to, to just scar them and now define them. And so unforgiveness produces bitterness. That defines us. Number three, failure to forgive gives Satan an open door in our lives. Paul warns the believers in the book of Ephesians in chapter four. He says this, be angry and yet do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He says there, be angry. It's like, hey, it's normal to get angry. Anybody get angry this week? Okay, I got angry this week. But being angry is not a sin. It's a reaction. But it becomes a sin when we dwell on it. It becomes sin when we allow it to fester. It becomes sin when we don't let it go. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because when you do, you give the devil an opportunity. And the idea there is you open up the door of your heart and you allow the devil to get his foot in. And he's never content with just having his foot in the door of your heart. He wants to come all the way in and he wants to wreak havoc. So Paul says, and don't even let the sun go down on your wrath. There was a man in Texas who said, my wife and I, we're celebrating 50 years of marriage. And he says, and one of the reasons why we have been able to stay married for 50 years is that we have never, ever gone to sleep at odds with one another. And then he said, but there's been some times where we stayed awake for 10 days. (laughs) Listen, that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, don't ever go to sleep angry with your spouse or angry with some other person. You know, sometimes going to sleep is the best thing that you can do. My wife and I have had times, yes, your pastor and his wife fight. There have been times where we have been at odds and it's like midnight and we can't come to a a resolution and it's like, okay, let's just go to sleep and we'll deal with this tomorrow. And sometimes that's the best thing, as long as you deal with it tomorrow. Sometimes going to sleep, it's like, it just makes you step back from the intensity of the situation. It allows your heart to just kind of quiet down. It allows the Lord to kind of work on your pride. And then you come together and you're like, I was wrong, you know. That's what she says to me. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. It makes you see things from the right perspective. So when Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, what he's saying is, is don't, don't just ignore it. Don't put it away. Don't just sweep it under the carpet and pretend like it's not there anymore. I've seen people do that. And you know what happens when you sweep things under the carpet? It becomes this little mound that you end up constantly tripping over. It becomes this this mound that all of a sudden it's like somebody drops something on it and it just Poof, all the garbage comes out in the heat of an argument. It's like the guy who was just having a, he came to work one day and he looked like he had just done, you know, 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. And his buddy said to him, man, what is wrong with you? You look horrible. 
He says, oh, I had this big fight with my wife last night. And every time we fight, she just gets historical. And, and uh, his buddy goes, historical? Don't you mean hysterical? And he goes, he, she gets that too. But she gets historical. She brings up every rotten thing I've ever done. And that's what happens when we sweep things under the carpet. And suddenly, in the heat of the moment, it all comes out. And we start bringing up all this stuff. Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. You have to deal with it because when you do that, what happens is you open up the door for Satan to have his way in your heart. Number four, failure to forgive usurps God's authority. You see, by refusing to forgive others and seeking our own revenge, we usurp the authority of God. That's why Paul urged believers to bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Don't seek to take your own revenge. But in Romans chapter 12, he says, remember this, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And you know, that is such a freeing thing when you can take somebody who has hurt you and give them over to the Lord and say, God, they're yours. I don't want vengeance I don't need to come after them. Lord, I'm just entrusting them into your hands. That is such a freeing thing. But when we want vengeance and it just, oh, it is, it's, it's, it's so ugly. There was a woman whose husband died. And she had on, carved on his tombstone, rest in peace. Until she found out that he did not include her in his will. So then she had added to the tombstone, rest in peace until I see you again. (laughs) Sometimes that's how we are, right? Man, I'm going to get you. You hit me. I'm going to hit you. Listen, God is far more able to deal with the offenses against us than we are. And he has a complete understanding of the situation and that individual. And it is so freeing when you're able to say, God, I'm entrusting this person and this situation into your care. So there we see four of the ramifications of unforgiveness. The fourth and final thing I want us to see today is the results of forgiveness and restoration. The number one thing that we see in this story is that others are refreshed. Notice in verse 20, Paul said that his heart would be blessed if Philemon would do this. He says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in the Lord. My heart's going to be refreshed as you walk in this forgiveness, as you receive him back as a son. And not only that, but Philemon's faith would have an opportunity to shine in an even greater way. This is what Paul refers to in verse 6. I mean, think about this. I mean, this is a small town, Colossae. People knew each other. They knew the situation. They knew Philemon. They knew that Onesimus had bailed. How do you think the people in that town, in that church, as they see Philemon, you know, here comes Onesimus back, and Philemon is, he could, he, he would be justified, as I said, to have him crucified, to have him killed, to have him branded with an F, but instead, he receives him back, he puts his arm around him, and he starts calling him, you, you're no longer my slave, you are my brother. People are looking at go, that is amazing. I'm sure they're talking to Philemon going, man, how could you do that? And then that's the opportunity for Philemon to say, well, you know what? It's really not me. It's, it's Jesus. And Jesus has forgiven me of so much. How could I not forgive him? And he's totally changed. 
God's done a work in his life. And the, the whole point, Paul loses this in verse 15, of him going was so that he would come to the end of himself where he would meet Jesus and give his life to Jesus. And, and, and finally it's like, you know, how could I not take him back? And people's hearts are, are blessed by that. They're moved by that. It's a wonderful testimony of the gospel. It's been said, never are we more like God than when we forgive. And never are we more like Christ than when we pay someone else's debt so that reconciliation can take place. I was reminded this week of an amazing story. You can look this up. Her name's Mary Johnson. And her son was killed. He was 20 years old and he was killed by a 16-year-old at a party one night. This 16-year-old shot her son. And Mary, who was a Christian woman, said that she was so filled with hatred toward this young boy that took her son's life. And she said to herself, you know, I hope when his trial comes up that he gets the maximum sentence When they decided to try this 16-year-old as an adult, she was overjoyed because she knew that his punishment would be even greater. And sure enough, when the time came for the sentencing, he was sentenced to 25 years. 25 years behind bars. And she thought that that was going to make her so happy when that verdict was laid out. But then she began to understand that Her hatred and bitterness toward this young man was destroying her heart. And through a series of circumstances, she came to really just give that to the Lord. She decided to go visit this young man in prison. And as she came to visit him in prison, she was curious of what that was going to be like. She said that at first she, she, she was you know, going to the room where they were going to meet, and she was ready to just turn around. She's like, I can't do this. But she said she had a friend with her who just made her go. And she went in, and she saw a young man who had been broken by his sin. A man, young man who had come to take full responsibility who profusely apologized to her. And she ended up telling him that she forgave him. They stayed in contact. The young man ended up becoming a Christian. She started a ministry of moms who had lost someone in a violent crime like that, and also moms who were the mothers of the offenders. She started this ministry, and when this young man got out of prison, she took him in and almost, in a sense, adopted him as her own son, and to this day, he lives right next door to her. It's an incredible story. The power of the gospel, the power of when we give our hearts over to Jesus, what he can do to heal that forgiveness. And the two of them now go out together and they share their story and they've shared it all over the country. And God has used them in a powerful way. 
to help others learn how to walk in forgiveness and receive the healing of Christ. And this is the third thing that we see of the ministry. The the third result is that the the gospel would have a chance to spread further through Onesimus' life. And we talked about last week how he went on to further ministry. He becomes a pastor, ends up pastoring the church in Ephesus that Paul started. And God took this man where there were so many ashes and he brought beauty. He brought beauty through the work of redemption, the work of forgiveness. And so this story gives us some beautiful insights into forgiveness. How we are to forgive because we have been forgiven of so much. That we forgive by daily applying the cross. And when we forgive, others are refreshed. And Jesus is glorified. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. We thank you, Lord, for the transformation that takes place in Onesimus. We thank you that that Philemon is this man who was known to be a gracious man, but whose life could have been defined by bitterness and hatred after this but he allowed you to work in his heart. He forgave. He restored. And Lord, I pray right now for all of us here in this room who have been hurt, who have been wounded, who have been wronged. And Lord, I I, I believe that there are some of us here today and some of us watching online that we've been holding on to that unforgiveness. We've been holding on to that bitterness. We've given, we've opened up the door to Satan there in our hearts. And God, I pray right now that in this moment, for any of us that are battling and struggling in that way, that we would throw in the tree, that we would throw in the cross. That, Lord, we would come to that place of recognizing today that the price has been paid. That we would give that person, that we would give that situation over to you. And today would just be the start of a daily practice. Giving you the chance to heal our hearts. To close the wound. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for the times that we've allowed it to fester, that we've fed it. And I want us just to keep our head bowed and our eyes closed right now. And as the music plays, I believe there's some of you here today that God's been speaking to you. There's that situation in your life that you've been holding on to, there's that wound that you've been feeding. That you've allowed your life to do a certain way to just be defined by unforgiveness. That maybe has moved to bitterness or maybe it's moving in that direction. And the Lord brought this word to you today because He doesn't want this to destroy you. And so I want to encourage you right now, just in this moment, apply the cross. 
Throw in the tree. Confess to the Lord today, Jesus, I know you paid the price for that wrong that was done against me. And give that to him. And allow his love and his forgiveness to wash over you right now. Just do that. Bring your heart to him. Bring that situation to him. You might be in a situation where there's not even a, an open door for reconciliation because that person who's hurt you has never, ever taken responsibility. They refuse to. That's okay. There might not be reconciliation, but your heart can be set free today. Apply the tree. Give that to the Lord. Commit to, to continue to do that. As those feelings fester again. Give it to the Lord. Give that person to the Lord. Do it right now. Lord, we thank you that we have been forgiven by you of so much. Lord, I pray that each one of us would just find ourselves today rejoicing in the reality of your forgiveness. Your grace that's been extended to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in that reality. Some of us are going to get hurt this week. Lord, help us to apply this when it happens. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've opened that door to the enemy by harboring this. Lord, we want to walk today in the forgiveness that is found in you. And God, I pray that you would move and work and those situations where reconciliation is possible. That we would own our part of that. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give you our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.